your kicks gotta be flat, man. You you gotta look cool. Welcome to the Sneaks and Beats podcast, dedicated to centering black people in the stories around the music and sneakers that move our culture. That's hip-hop in the form of leather and rubber. Timeless sounds. No one could do it better. Iconic sneakers and incredible stories. 88. This is the Sneaks and Beats podcast. Niggas got me hot. Welcome to the Sneaks and Beats podcast. I'm so glad you guys came to join me on the very first episode. This is exciting. I'm so excited that you guys are all here. Like I said, welcome to the Sneaks and Beats podcast, where we will be centering black people in the stories around the sneakers and the music that moves our culture. Welcome, 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 welcome. Let's hit it with episode one. All right, so I'm pretty excited about this first episode. Obviously, this is the first time I'm doing this um, on this platform. And if it's two things that I really love, I love great gym shoes. (laughs) And I love great music. And so what I really want to do with this podcast is have some time where we can tell the stories around how some of the greatest music and the greatest shoes of our time have come into creation. Now, I fully understand that what you think is great and what I think is great might be two different things. But my goal is that we have some guests on, that we have people on that can give lots of different perspectives. And my hope is that after you listen to this show, you walk away having learned a little bit about the artists uh, that create the music and not just the artists, but all parts of the creation. So producers, writers, all those things. Um, And also the people that design the shoes that uh, move our culture in such a big way. So, this first episode, I'm going to highlight one of my favorites, the musical genius that is Anderson Peck. Um, the reason why I want to talk about Anderson is because the more I learned about his story, the more I felt like there were things there that could really um, inspire people things there that could really motivate people. There are parts of his story that I feel like all of us can relate to in some way and some of us even more than others. So I wanted to um, bring him as an artist to um, to the stage. I wanted to highlight him as an artist. And so we're going to dig into it. One of the things I love about Anderson Pack is that he crosses so many genres, right? So like People don't know whether to call him a rapper or a singer or, you know, a producer. 
Um, he has so much going on. His music falls under hip hop and R&B and rock and roll and funk and soul and electronic sometimes. So I think that he is diverse in a way that um, is really inspiring. And that's why I call him the musical genius that is Anderson Pack. He plays a bunch of instruments. <laughs> um, I know for sure he plays the drums and the keyboard. Uh, but I think he dab- dibbles and dabbles in a lot of other things too. So let's dig into it. I was always kind of curious about how Anderson Pack got his stage name. His real name is Brandon Pack Anderson, right? So the Pack in his name comes from um, his Korean heritage. His mother is Korean and black. So there's that mixed heritage there. She was born in Korea and she was actually abandoned by her parents and she ended up getting adopted and was moved out to California. So she was born in Korea, but um, her and her brother, so Anderson Pack's uncle, were abandoned by their parents um, and she was ultimately adopted and came out to California. Long story short, she ended up starting a produce company in Oxnard, California. And that is where Anderson actually grew up. A lot of us born in the 80s, especially like that 85, I was born in 85, Anderson Pack was born in 86. Um, a lot of us can kind of relate to this story, although this is not necessarily my story, it's the story of a lot of people that I know. His father um, was not in the picture. He was there for a while, but by the time Anderson was seven, his father was like out of the picture. He had previously been in the military, but he was dishonorably discharged behind some weed. And after that, his father fell into a depression and ended up getting really addicted to drugs and alcohol. At the age of seven, Anderson actually witnessed um, his father, who was estranged at that point, attack his mother. And his father ended up doing 14 years in prison for the assault. So he definitely had kind of a troubled background. He you know, Anderson had some baggage that he was kind of carrying with him. Um, And as we go on, you'll start to see that music was really his outlet. He began producing music from his bedroom um, when he was a teenager, while he was attending the Foothill Technology High School. His first experiences performing were as a drummer in church (laughs) in Oxnard. The church was called St. Paul's Baptist Church. Now, as the story goes, his god sister invited him to church when he was like 11 and had learned how to play a couple of beats. So he was dibbling, dabbling in this room and had learned, pretty much taught himself how to play the drums when his god sister was like, hey, come come go to church with me. You, you will love the choir. You will love the church. You will love the church man. Needless to say, Anderson went. And so when he saw the choir and he saw the band, he was hooked. I never seen any kind of playing, he said. I never been in a black Baptist church before that. I was just in love with the energy. And so many musicians and talented artists get their start playing in the black church. There's something really special about that to me. I mean, the black church certainly has its issues, but one of its most redeeming qualities, in my opinion, is that it has historically always been 
a space where Black talent could be on display, especially in times where there were not very many other spaces for us. But anywho, in 2011, prior to being a successful working musician, Anderson was working at a marijuana farm in Santa Barbara. Imagine that. (laughs) Um, He was actually dismissed from there without warning, and he became homeless with his wife and infant son. He met his wife um, back when he was in technology school. So he and his wife have known each other like for a long time, since like high school. Um, A lot of people are curious about her and who she is and Um, they've known each other for a long time. They've been married for a long time at this point. So anyway, he gets fired from the weed farm. (laughs) During that time, he was always, he was already doing music. Um, and he had started working on his album when Shafiq Hussein of Asara helped, helped him recover financially from losing his job in Santa Barbara by employing him as an assistant videographer, editor, writer, and producer, so I don't know if you're familiar with Sarah um, or Sarah, but it's a really dope group. We're going to talk a little bit about that. I want to talk a little bit about Shafiq Hussain and Sarah, because without him, we really don't have an Anderson Pack in both an indirect and direct way. So indirectly, Shafiq Hussain pioneered a funk-laden, futurist approach to soulful music in the 2000s. Um, With albums like 2007's The Hollywood Recordings and 2009 Nuclear Evolution, um, The Age of Love, Sarah, which also includes Tass Arnold, um, Omas Keith. He cleared the runway runway for bands like The Internet, Thundercat, Anderson Pack, um, Jametta Rose, all of whom spent time around his studio um, in their early years. A lot of people don't know about Shafiq, but he's really kind of a pioneer musically. Um, By the time Hussein's 2009 debut album landed, the Sara Camp had racked up collaborations with artists like Kanye West, Lion Lotus, Erica Badu, Talib Kweli, Herbie Hancock and Jay Dilla. So what's a little lesser known, a lot of people know that part of his music, you know, in the group Sarah. What's a little lesser known about Shafiq is his entry point as part of Ice-T's label, Rhyme Syndicate Records, almost 30 years ago. Yes, Ice-T had a label and Shafiq Hussain was on it as a part of a group called the Nile Kings, along with Divine Dubar. They released a project called Dropping Bombs back in 1990. It was on vinyl. <laughs> Do you remember when projects were like released on vinyl? Yeah. So this project, Dropping Bombs, was released on vinyl. It was produced by Ice-T and a guy by the name of Daddy Nitro, a.k.a. Sudan Jeffries, who has a writing credit on it. I bring this up because I've heard some people mention Daddy Nitro as a part of the Now Kings group. That Sorry, my country accent came out. <laughs> but I've, I've heard some people mention Daddy Nitro as a part of the Nile Kings group. 
I don't think he was an actual member. I mean, if you're a real music historian and you know this information, you can correct me. I don't think he was an actual member of the group, but he did a lot of the writing and mixing. Side note, I wasn't able to find the Dropping Bombs project on any of the streaming services, but if you were interested, you can buy the vinyl on Amazon for $15.99 and even cheaper on some of the other marketplace apps. As I was looking for it, I saw some prices like $6 here or something like that. So if you're a music historian and you really want that piece of music, I think right now, like maybe on the internet, you can find it somewhere, maybe YouTube or something like that. But generally speaking, you almost have to buy it to hear it. If you're interested though, I highly recommend checking out the Sarah Creative Partners albums, which you can find on the streaming platforms. You can hear how their successful experimentation and fusion of hip hop, soul, and futuristic sounds really opened the door for the sounds and styles of the likes of Thundercat, Anderson Pack, and the internet. entire episode just on Shafiq and Sarah Creative Partners and maybe one day I will but bringing it back to Anderson Pack, Shafiq directly impacted his success by giving him a job as his assistant after Anderson lost his job at the weed farm that piece of Anderson's story really stands out to me because it shows exactly how one door closing can be specifically for the purpose of another door opening. And that door just might be the one that opens into your purpose. It was for Anderson Pack, and it could be for you. So I don't know who this is for, but don't be discouraged by the door that closed for seemingly no reason. You will understand the reason later. Just trust the process. But it also highlights the importance of opening doors for others when you have the opportunity to do so. Shafiq saw a talented individual who needed an opportunity and he gave him one. On the outside looking in, some may consider being an assistant or being a videographer and things like that. Like those are things that Anderson, those weren't a part of his goals. (laughs) So some people might, you know, consider that as a small opportunity. But the fact of the matter is, that small position was a huge opportunity for Anderson. And without it, we may not even have the Anderson pack we know today. But anyway, back to Anderson. Anderson was smart enough to use that opportunity to complete OBE Volume 1 and release 
that album on June 30th, 2012. So, the OBE Volume 1 album is very difficult to find. It's on the internet, and um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. You're welcome. But he was not even making music as Anderson Pack at that time. He has a few different different aliases. But at that time, he wasn't even making music under the name Anderson Pack. But we'll talk more about that later. Around that time, he actually became the drummer for uh, the former American Idol semifinalist, Haley Reinhardt. Um, I don't know if you guys remember who that is. I, I totally understand if you don't at this point. <laughs> now, that said, I want to take this opportunity to highlight a hidden gem in Anderson's repertoire. On November 27, 2013, he produced and recorded an EP called Cover Art. That EP was an all-covers EP. He was inspired by the white artists of the 50s who achieved commercial success by remaking songs written by Black blues and R&B singers while hardly ever compensating the original artists. Cover art reversed the process and transformed folk and rock classics from white musicians into a mold of soul, funk, jazz, left field pop, hip hop, and R&B. The album was released by Hellfire Club, which is an independent label, and OBE. So I want to pause there because what he did there was really significant. During the 50s, during the 1950s, there were a slew of white artists and bands who made a pretty lucrative career out of remaking songs from black R&B and blues acts, most of which maintaining the same musical blueprints as the originals. These records were more commonly known as race records, the precursors to what would later be known as rock and roll taking songs that at one point were only known to a certain demographic of people and catapulting them onto the airwaves, thus exposing them to the popular audience, which is white suburbia. Unfortunately, the original writers hardly ever received credit and or weren't ever properly compensated for their songs. I know when I first started telling people I was going to do this show and I wanted to center black stories, I got a lot of feedback and some people felt like I shouldn't just talk about black people. And some people felt like if I talked about just black people, I would be limited to certain genres of music, namely R&B, hip hop, soul. And That's actually the purpose of what I'm doing here in this show. The purpose is to expose our influence in every genre. Quite frankly, you cannot find a genre of music that there is not a black story related to. We are in all genres. And so when you think about rock and roll, that was us. That was us. And I'm not saying that to be radical. What I'm saying is a lot of people don't realize that 
during the 50s, during the time that rock and roll was first coming through as a genre, this is what was happening. People were taking the music that was that was uh, well known to our demographic, using that same blueprint, producing it and calling it rock and roll and serving it up to white suburbia. So what Anderson did with this is a similar process, but he does it in reverse homage. He takes rock and folk classics from some of our favorite white singers and bands like the Beatles, um, the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, the White Stripes, Toto, and even Neil Young. Um, and he completely reworks it and extracts every bit of soul, jazz, hip hop, and even electronic funk and R&B. You won't be able to find this project on the streaming platforms, but it's on Bandcamp. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes. You can thank me later. Trust me, it is worth your time. (laughs) Just a short year later, he released Venice on the first album he put out as Anderson Pack. Now, let's talk about his stage name a little bit. Anderson being his first name, Pack being his middle name, and for those who may not know, Anderson told NPR that the dot before the pack stands for detail. Always be paying attention to detail, he said. I feel that people take you as serious as you take yourself. I spent a lot of time working on my craft, developing my style, and after I came out of my little incubation, I promised that I would pay attention to detail. And on top of that, I want to make sure that dot is always there to to remind me and to remind others. I think that attention to detail shows up in his work very clearly. You can tell that every part of the production of his music has been carefully considered down to the last detail. Now, I just want to say that Venice is my favorite album for him. Notice I said favorite, not best. All of his albums are solid. Venice just happens to be the most fun in my opinion. And actually, Venice turns four years old on October 28th. So I'll be doing a review of the album on my blog. You can argue with me then. How about that? That's when things really started to take off. From there, he toured with Janae Eichel in 2014. He's on six songs on Dr. Dre's um, Compton album, which came out in 2015. He's on two of the game songs on um, the documentary 2.5. And he worked with a, with a ton of other dope artists and producers like Schoolboy Q, Ninth Wonder, Rhapsody, Katranda, uh, Flying Lotus, to name a few. He released Malibu the second album in January 2016 that year is the first time I saw him live and transparently when I really first started paying attention to him um and he performed I saw him live when he performed at the Roots Picnic in Philly that summer 
it was awesome. And if you've never seen Anderson Pack live, you should. He puts on a fantastic show. He sees Dr. Dre as a mentor and acts as an apprentice to him. So it made perfect sense when he announced that he signed to Dr. Dre's label Aftermath in 2016. One of Anderson's most notable performances was on NPR Music's Tiny Desk Concert Series with his backing band, the Free Nationals. Free Nationals put out an album, was it this year or last year? Either way, also worth listening to. The Tiny Desk Concert they they did together was in August of 2016. And that concert has since become the most popular in the history of the series, according to NPR. If you haven't seen this Tiny Desperate performance, you are missing out. Like seriously, where have you been? I'm adding the link to the show notes so you can get your life together. Also, spoiler alert, he did it twice. Once again in March of this year, 2020. I will add that link as well. You are welcome. I should add that he, in 2016, put out the first project for No Worries, which is the rap duo that he and music producer Knowledge made up. It's an EP called Link Up and Suede, my favorite track on the project, and possibly on the list of favorite tracks of all time, period, um, is Suede, which also happens to be the lead single on the MP. The duo has put out two projects as a group. The second is called Yes Lord, and it's an album. Both projects are worth a listen, but full transparency, I feel like the EP, No Worries, is a lot of the content on Yes Lord, but still worth a listen. By the time he did the first Tiny Desk concert, he was already becoming super mainstream. Now, me personally, I always struggle when my favorite low-key artist starts to get more mainstream. I just don't like to share, honestly. (laughs) But also, sometimes the quality of the music changes. No shade to The weekend, but The weekend is a perfect example of this. So I was nervous when more people started to know who he was, but I was also super happy he was finally getting his things, you know? In 2018, his new single, Till It's Over, featured a new TV commercial released by Apple Inc. The advertisement was promoting the um, Apple HomePod smart speaker. Along with collaborations with Apple, Till It's Over was used in a playlist for the 2018 video game Forza Horizon 4. His song, Bubbling, was in a playlist of Madden NFL 19 and... That song won a Grammy for Best Rap Performance. Also, just last month, well, two months ago, August 2020, the song Cut Em In 
with him and Rick Ross was added to the soundtrack for Madden NFL 2021. He released his third studio album, Oxnard, on November 16, 2018. It's executive produced by Dr. Dre and is an homage to Anderson's hometown in California. The album has a heavy funk theme throughout the project and features artists such as Kendrick Lamar, Snoop Dogg, Pusha T, and J. Cole. The album features the song Cheers, a Q-tip feature track playing homage to his late friend Mac Miller, R.I.P. Mac Miller. He also co-wrote two songs on the sixth album from Christina Aguilera's uh, Liberation in 2018. I didn't care for that album, but he wrote two songs on it. The tour for Oxnard was titled Andy's Beach Club and began in the U.S. February 2019. So two months after the release of Oxnard, Anderson released his fourth studio album, Ventura, on April 12th. Lots of dope people were on that album. Andre 3000, Smokey Robinson, Brandy, and the late Nate Dogg, to name a few. Also, Ventura was executive produced by Dr. Dre and was released by Dr. Dre's uh, record label, Aftermath. The title follows the theme of his previous albums, making his way up to the California coast. He won a Grammy for that album for Best R&B Album. He won his third Grammy for Best R&B Performance for Come Home, featuring Andre 3000, which was a single on that album. I'm begging you, I'm begging you, please come home. No one needs to beg Whereas Oxnard covered various snippets of Pac's life in vivid detail, Ventura homes in on more personal details about the artist himself, returning to the mind-slick R&B and funk rap of his acclaimed debut, Malibu. Growing up in Oxnard gave me the grit in the church to find this voice of mine, he said. One town over, I went further and found my death. That was his words on um, releasing those two albums back to back. He also announced a tour titled The Best Teeth in the Game with his band, The Free Nationals, which began on May 17, 2009. I saw him live for the second time in Chicago on this tour, and it's one of my favorite concerts I've ever been to. Also on that tour was No Name and Thundercat, two other artists that I love and was happy to see them all on the same bill. I wanted to highlight Anderson Pack because his story symbolizes an ability to rise up from adversity. And I think sometimes when things happen in our lives, we get really caught up in the here and the now. And it's really important to put those things in perspective for the future. So with Anderson, he got fired from his job. That turned out to be a good thing. He became someone's assistant. That turned out to be a good thing. All those things work together. People work together. The universe worked together 
to give us the musical genius that is Anderson Pack. That's our show for this week. I appreciate you guys coming to hang out with me. Check out the blog on sneaksandbeats.com for content, album reviews, more to come on all of this. See you next Wednesday. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Sneaks and Beats podcast. Stay connected. Visit sneaksandbeats.com or follow us on social media at sneaks underscore beats. All platforms are in the show notes. And don't forget to like, leave a review, and subscribe to get new episodes directly to your device each Wednesday.